Hey y'all, it's Toya Nicole and I snuck away for two weeks for a vacation. So Renee and I put together this podcast with some of our favorite clips from the season so far. So we hope you enjoy and that you have a chance to go back and listen to some episodes that you may have missed. We will be back next week. Bye. And so black women do sometimes feel like they have a difficult time getting black men Mm -hmm. um, as well. Now, where would that come from? Well, in 2014 as well, there was a recorded 1.5 million more black women in America than black men. So some of these stats can really be discouraging for women. There's more black women than men. And then on top of that, non-black men in America aren't finding us as desirable, at least based on this online dating poll. Right. And so when I have watched the show and um, a couple of the women, some of their comments on why they were doing this show and what they were saying was they've struggled to find love in America, that they feel that black women are have negative stereotypes attached to them, mm-hmm. and they don't feel that they are celebrated enough over here. And the belief is that men in foreign countries, specifically Italy, celebrate women in general more and specifically black women in general so is that a real thing what do you think i think some of it is a real thing and the reason why i say some of it is because yes i do believe that there are definitely more black men than more black women so the struggle becomes even more real for us to find if we're you interested in finding the fact right there right right <laughs> more black women than men yeah there are more black women i'm yeah. sorry more black women than men um so there's definitely a struggle for us there if that's the only type of man that you're looking for. Bingo. However, if you're open, which I find that a lot of black women are not open because one, not only just the stereotypes, but we are afraid of what others may think. And once we step out of that comfort zone of caring about what people think uh, about us dating another race, then the world can be our oyster as far as dating is concerned. We just have to be open to that. Do we have to go to another country to find love? I don't know. Let's banter, let's banter about that and, and kind of shoot back and forth. Because I think, yes, and I kind of think no. But I'm not, I'm not sold on the idea that I need a curator. I'm not sold on the idea that I need um, to go out of the country to find love. Yeah. But I'm open to doing it. Because maybe it's something that I haven't considered. Mm-hmm. And if I don't open up myself to something, and if I don't try it at least once, I'll never, ever know. So the woman who is hosting the show herself met her husband in Italy. Mm-hmm. He is a black man, but they um, met overseas. And um, the, the premise of the show is these women are on there, and that some at the end of the series have found love. There is another website, blackgirltravel.com, that Renee and I both were checking out. And that woman has been in business for like over six years doing this very thing, taking women all overseas and creating these experiences and they're finding love. The person on the show has her own separate um, business called The Venus Effect where she's curating these experiences and people are finding love. Another blogger that I follow sometimes, Onika the Traveler, she met her husband of German descent, so he is not a black man, to Renee's point, while she was traveling in Hong Kong. Everyone remembers Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love journey. You know, she went to Italy, India, and Bali, 
and she found her husband over there. So there are these examples of women finding love overseas. I think Renee even knows a real life Stella. I was just about to say that. You <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth, Toya. So not only does Stella get her groove back in the movie, but I have a friend who I've known for quite some time. She uh, got her job. So her job makes her travel sometimes where she can take on different assignments where she travels. And so she took on this one assignment. It was in Jamaica and literally Stella got her groove back. But she said she fought it because she was like, I'm not here for this. Like mm. I came to work. I came to make a difference and do blah, 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 blah. And so that was her focus. Her focus was not on being finding a man. And However, in the States, that's all she wanted. She wanted to get married. She wanted to find a husband. She wanted to have kids. And she, wanted, she was looking for that. But yeah. when she went there, that's not what she was looking for. Um, they started to date. She fell in love. They, he has since, I don't know if he's moved here or not to the States. I'm assuming that he has. But he was back and forth for a while. But they have twin girls now. Wow. They're happily married. And um, from what I remember, the last time I talked to her, they're doing fine. So it wasn't a matter of her being open because she wasn't open when she went there. Yeah. It was just a matter she of her. expecting it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think it is about being open. Um, I have traveled to Italy. So kind of circling back to the premise of the show and that story. I have been to Italy. So in 2012, I vacationed there with uh, friends. It was guys and girls. It was a co-ed trip. And we were there with a bigger travel group. And, um, hey, the men love them, some beautiful black women. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, you can definitely tell that just walking down the street shopping or on our tours or whatever. And, and Italy has some Italian stallions. <laughs> As they say on the show, when the girls is like, I'm going to get my Italian stallion. There's some nice looking men um, in Italy. And um, so everyone's like, well, why Rome? Well, Rome is a magical place and a city of love. And Italian men have been known for years for doting and loving black women. My sister spent some time living overseas when she was in her 20s. And she was she had been telling me those kind of stories because I remember when I was going on the trip she was like watch out you know <laughs> um, and then I have dated outside of my race before and he was a American white man but he was of Italian descent mm -hmm. and I was not the first black woman that he had dated he loved black women and when I think about most of the men that I have been hit on by that are Caucasian, they have been of Italian descent. So I do think there is some truth to that. Um, it's not that I don't feel um, putting that blanket statement out there that black men aren't attracted to black women and they don't love us. I don't really believe in those type of, I know the stats are out there, but I don't believe in making those type of like negative statements and feeling like you have to go to another race or you have to go outside the country because black men in America don't want us. It's absolutely not true. I have friends and family and right. <laughs> my own experiences to prove that that is not true. Um, but I think there is something to be said. So I think a woman who chooses to open herself up to that experience should not be criticized for that and that it's not some fly-by-night thing. There are really women traveling overseas, finding love, and they're really are a lot of, you know, Italian men, you know, 
finding love with black women. And let's face it, black women are beautiful. We're unique. Absolutely. And and you have to think that's not something that they see every day over there. Right. So when you go to a foreign country, be it Hong Kong, Germany, or Italy, you are seen as something beautiful and unique that they don't get to see all the time. Yes. And so you will perhaps increase your chances of being hit on at the least and perhaps taking something to the next level. Okay. What are some things you can learn from Cardi B? And I was like, you know, number one is she invested in herself. Mm-hmm. As I said, like she said, she saved $80,000 and invested in her mixtapes. And that ultimately led her to getting the recording contract that she got. She also, you said it before, is authentic. She is her raw, man, unfiltered, in-your-face self. And she's not holding back. And she has gotten criticism about that lately. Like, ooh, Cardi, like... Maybe don't comment as much on things or like watch what you say. And who knows how the entertainment industry will change her if they'll try to box her in, if they'll try to put a filter on her. But for now, and the that way she was got... not going to go out like that. I am so sorry. Yeah, they could filter I, her all she wants to. She is not going to go for that. And she's not going to take that. I can see that because I think that has been what has got her to this point mm-hmm. is being her authentic self. And so how many of us can learn from that? Your authentic self don't have to be the same as hers, but whoever you are authentically, be that. And know that whatever, if it's for your business, your community and friendship, there are people who will welcome that. They want to see the real you. Hell, her authentic self got her contract with Steve Madden. Because what she, oh no, you you don't follow her. You're not a Barty, so you don't know this. Yeah. But I am, so I do. So, what she does is she, um, like she was talking about red bottoms all the time. Yeah. And <clears throat> she didn't help, Is there's this article that, or this meme I that went around, that. which wasn't true. They were basically saying that she increased their... Uh, the Louboutin sales. Yeah, their sales, yeah. which she didn't. She What she increased was their notoriety. Right. Because um, they didn't have an increase in sales from that. Anywho, I uh, just had to say that. But with Steve Madden, she talked about Steve Madden all the time. She's always talking about, you put on you a fancy dress. Look at my Gucci dress with my Steve Madden shoes. Look at wow. my such and such, my Dolce & Gabbana dress with my Steve Madden shoes. Steve Madden was like, okay, boo, we got you. And she has a contract, and she was she's modeling now for Steve Madden. Wow. Getting free stuff. Yeah. I'm not mad at that. Oh, she's probably getting more than free stuff. She's getting free stuff. And well, she's getting paid. Yeah. yeah, she's getting paid too. Absolutely. Yeah, she ain't going to go nowhere and just get free stuff. She's definitely going to get paid too. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I, um, so you mentioned like everyone has a little ratchet. You know, she was quoted saying, I'm so free spirited. Everyone has a little bit of me inside them. That loud girl that just want to go, hey, <laughs> no matter. Yes. <laughs> Raise his hand right here. She said, no matter if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, it comes out like, aha, I got you being yourself for a little two or three minutes. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and I said that in my best Cardi B. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it is. It's like, I can. Yeah. Everyone has that 
part of them that is like loud and super unfiltered that we sometimes are afraid to release and she is not afraid to release Okay. <laughs> I can't get the, the smacking part. Sorry. I tried. I, I mean, I believe there's a time and place for everything, but you know, it, I, she doesn't seem to follow that rule, but <laughs> that it works for her. Um, but I, you know, I like that. It's like, yeah, she's like, I got you being yourself, your real self for a little two or three minutes. Um, the other thing is that she has embraced her past while she was focused on her future. So I, I love that principle of like embracing your past while still focused on your future. So as we said, like she was in the strip club, but she was thinking like, okay, six years from now, I'm going to have me a house. I'm saving this money. Think about that. She was saving all of that money. She wasn't like spending it, buying new this, new that. I'm sure she bought things, but she obviously made some sacrifices if she ended up with $80,000 saved right. another day. And um, I love that because we should not be ashamed of some of our less than perfect past. And that doesn't mean that you were a stripper. It could be anything from your past that you aren't um, happy about or whatever. You know, I don't think she glorifies, you know, that stripping was what she needed to do and it's what she did. And I think that's something we can all learn, that uh, being willing to talk openly about it. She talks about it in her music, in her songs. She talks about it all the time because our secrets are what make us sick. Mm-hmm. And if she was trying to hide her past or underscore it, you know, that wouldn't allow her to really move on. And I think I respect that. And that's something I think that's a good principle is to, like, embrace every part of your past. And even the things you're not so, like, proud of, even the things that, like, other people would make you feel ashamed for. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if you're in a situation, like, now that's not the best, like, be thinking about when I get out of this situation... When I get out of this, you know, and I love that. She has seemingly been a person who always had a vision for herself. Do that, Cardi. (laughs) And I think that's so, so important, you know. And so I I, I think there is something to be learned. I'm going to say not goals, (laughs) but... um, but to be honest, some of the things she went through, I wouldn't have wanted to go through, you know? Absolutely. But um, I definitely think, you know, there is a part of her story that is aspirational. And I, I love how people are looking past maybe whatever perception they may have of her because of her past or because of, you know, her ways. And they're able to see, you know, this girl has, like, a great story. And I think that's what what we should, like, focus on with anyone. Everyone has a purpose and everyone has something that we can learn from. Him. Yeah. It was him being ready. And when it hit him... He became clear that monogamy isn't for anyone, but he knew that he wanted to be with someone to show unconditional love, and this is the woman that he wanted to be with. He was very upfront with her, but what he needed in a relationship, and I always talk about this on our past podcasts, is understanding what your needs are versus your wants um, when it comes down to your relationships, because your needs are what you have to have in order for your relationship to function. And he had to talk about what his needs were for sex, for falling in love, to be with somebody for the rest of their lives. And she was able to meet all of those things. Yeah. And so that's when he knew that it had hit him. 
But I love what you said in there too about that he decided. And I think that's the big thing is going back to what we were saying. We tend to think we do so much for a man or whatever. He'll come around or a lot of women like pressure and give men ultimatums. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the man makes the choice. And that's why you have to believe a man when he says, I'm not ready for a relationship. I was reading some blog and I can't think of what it was, where I found it. But it was, everybody was, it was a comment section, like a form. And somebody had wrote in for advice and everybody was like, oh, he's probably dating somebody else. This is this. And, and finally somebody else was like, or he could just not be ready for a relationship. Yeah. And we need to believe that. And when a man says that we need to hear him out and that could just be it because that truly is right. When they are ready, it is a decision that they will make. And I've always heard two school of thoughts. You'll hear men say it was Renee. Soon as I met Renee, I knew she was the one and. I was willing to instantly, you know, commit to her or whatever. Then you hear the other school of thought and what the other men say is that I was just ready. Mm-hmm. I had a um, guy friend who was in a long-term relationship. He and this girl lived together for like five years. She had moved to like three cities following him around and... um they had broke up because she was waiting on the ring and he was never giving it to her. And each city that they moved in, he kept saying, yeah, we're going to get married. And and he just kept putting it off. Mm -hmm. And he said he loved her, but he said he always knew he wasn't in love with her and he just felt he wasn't ready. So they broke up. He met another girl, um, like a year or so after similar thing, like they moved in together. They moved like cross country together. And this time he was proposing And I asked him, okay, well, so what is it about her? And he was like, I mean, she's cool. She's been there for me. Like, you know, I gave her crap in the beginning and she's rode with me. But he was like, I'm just ready. And he was so, let's say the first girlfriend's uh, name was Becky for this. (laughs) Becky is just going to be the standard name. Dang, Becky. Uh, So the ex-girlfriend before that broke up with him, you know, because he wouldn't give her the ring, Becky. And the new girl will just say she Tasha. Hey, Tasha. Mm -hmm. You can read between the lines on that if you want to, because there is something there in the (laughs) Becky and Tasha. But anyway, what I asked, what he said was, if I was still with Becky, she would have this ring. That it wasn't necessarily anything particular about Tasha. It was that he was ready. Mm-hmm. And if he was still with Becky, Becky would have the ring. Mm-hmm. That he was like, I'm, he was like, my parents are getting older. I want to give them grandkids. I want to settle down. And, and just like that. So, you know, I mean, it really is like you have to let that man come around to that and make that decision for himself. And, you know, that's why you hear people like, I was with somebody for five years, they never settled down, and then six months later, they met somebody, and they already are married, or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, But for some men, it is a combination of them being ready, and then, like, this woman coming along that really, like, changes their mind about, like, what Duvall was saying, like, how he viewed monogamy, or whatever, you know? It sounds like it was a, a combination of him making that decision, but also seeing... Here's a woman who is also like willing to meet me where I am, mm-hmm. and I feel will be able to prov- provide me all these things that I need, like you said, and that comes to being honest too. How many times Absolutely. do we get into these situationships and things? Because we're not honest when we enter 
into things like about what we really want and the status of what we're doing because sometimes we just don't know we've never sat down with ourselves to sit and say okay this is my list and it's okay to have a list people think lists are bad things you can have a list of these are my needs that I want to have when I'm with someone and these are my wants my needs are my absolute must I need to have this in order for my relationship to work but this is what I want. So this is the icing on the cake. And if I get this, this is awesome. But if I don't, it's not a deal breaker. And when you are honest with yourself with those things, that's when you can go to somebody and be honest with them. I mean, I I was talking to a guy and I was like, I I dated a guy, I think last year. um, And I'm I'm allergic to smoke. We do a lot of dating, y'all. Can't you tell? (laughs) No judgment here. It's okay to date. That's how you find who you were supposed to be with. <laughs> um, so at any rate, I was dating this one guy, and uh, I'm allergic to smoking. He was—he wasn't a smoker. I won't date smokers, but if they smoke cigars on an occasion, I'm okay with that. I was very upfront with that, <clears throat> and he was very upfront with that. He smokes every day, and I was like, "Well, are you know, as long as you don't smoke around me, that's fine." And so he was like, I won't smoke around you. But that didn't turn out that way because literally he smoked every day. So when I would go over his house, his house smelled like cigars. He would smoke inside the house. So the whole house would be full of smoke. I would go home and then I would smell like smoke. And then I would have inhaled that smoke and my sinuses are all jacked up. And then it's a whole thing. That was a need for me is to be with somebody who doesn't smoke. Like I said, an occasional cigar is okay. I just can't be around but it. But that's still smoking, though. And you it is. A, I, you, you may not need even need to be with somebody who occasionally smokes. Mm-hmm. And the, and that that's something that I need to be honest with myself right. and say, you know what? I really don't need to be around someone who's who smokes at all. Yeah. So that's a, a prime example of that. Is just understanding that need versus that want and being honest. Like I might have to reevaluate what my needs are at this point. Y'all just had an honesty moment for me. Yeah. See, it ain't just smoke y'all. and smoke, whether it's every day or twice a month. Say it, Toya. <laughs> so, so for 2016, Labor Department data shows that women earn 82 cents for every dollar a man made. Now, if you break that down to black women, they earn 63 cents for every dollar a white man earned. Meaning that black women will lose more than $840,000 over a 40-year career. So there is this huge gap. And it, I think that translates not just in Hollywood, which the Monique example shows, but also into corporate America. I would even say in entrepreneurship. You know, mm-hmm. how many women business owners are out there getting contracts perhaps that are the same level of male-owned businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I think where Monique was coming from is a real place because she knows that black women historically aren't being paid the same. And it came out last week that Netflix did a deal with Tiffany Haddish. And Tiffany Haddish commented that it wasn't Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle money, but it's enough to take care of her family. And so it's like, okay, that's great, but even that's still proving the point that Why is it that across the board, no matter what industry, you are seeing women and then black women being paid less? And um, like I said, Monique 
had started the conversation more, you know, in the, you know, black Twitter community, I'll say. But people have been speaking out about this for a long time. And um, Awesomely Lovey, um, so Lovey Ajaya from her Awesomely Lovey blog, she, you know, made some comments about the Monique thing. And, you know, one of the things that I really love that she pointed out was that she said black women are constantly being underpaid, underappreciated, and overworked. And that's so true. We see people get promoted over us all the time, and we deal with people being awarded over us constantly. hmm Constantly. You know, and black women, we do. We feel like we have to work twice as hard and prove ourselves more versus our counterparts just to get what's due to us. And, you know, that's what I think I heard from Monique, that she was like, well, I am most decorated. I have an Oscar. I, I've done movies that have generated profits for studios. What more do I have to do? Well, she wasn't the most decorated, so let's just also say that. Too. I don't know about that because Whoopi Goldberg got the EGOT. But most decorated does not mean just those categories. Decorated mm-hmm. as far as awards and all these other things like that. And so when they listed out all of those things that she had done, it was like she was very well decorated. Mm-hmm. And you are right, Whoopi Goldberg has the EGOT, but this wasn't just about, like, I guess, awards. It was all about the different, like, milestones that she has. Yeah, and Whoopi, I mean, Whoopi definitely has had milestones as a comedian. I think Whoopi is one of the ones that have paved the way. I mean, she's been in more, she has a larger audience that she appeals to and has been in more mainstream movies than most. No, I'm not debating that she's not more famous, but, like, technically, if you want to talk about whatever is considered by decorated, which is, like, first this or this award somebody tallied it up and mm-hmm. like Monique was right on that now most decorated is a big you know right phrase in a sense and when you say that you wouldn't think of her but technically you know they were saying she was right mm-hmm. um I think she's one of the I don't think she's the and to, I think what she was saying is she was the most decorated. And I think that but she I don't know. one of Okay, them. I'm going to argue because I think this is the thing Let's that a lot answer. of people... Well, because we say, I don't think. But, mm-hmm. like, do your research. All right, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And that was like... And I, that's why I said I commend Monique because she was actually doing her research. And I think she sometimes did. we yeah. have a tendency to just say, well, I don't think. And that's okay if we think that. But, like... You know, I'm a fact finder by mm-hmm. nature. And so I just never want to say, I never want to like um, blow over something that's a fact mm-hmm. or whatever. And the point is that she can still be the most decorated comedian and still not deserve the same amount as Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle. And so I agree. I don't think Monique should have gotten the same as them because of the points you made, the audience that they're going to bring in, um, the sold out shows they have. But I'm not going to take away certain facts about her career away from her just oh, because no, I don't no. view her as decorated. No, I'm not saying she's not decorated. I'm just don't. She's not the most decorated because there they are. Also, there's also research that shows that, like I was saying, with Whoopi Goldberg, she has the EGOT. She has all of these different shows that she's done as well. She has um, more of a mainstream audience. So she appeals to different people. She's set yeah, the way to other different things. So that's all that I'm saying. I'm not saying that she's not uh, decorated at all. I think that she is a decorated comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, and she definitely deserves more. We both agree on that yeah. one. It's just the decorated part. 
But it was, you know, so, and I agree with you. I don't know that if Monique did a Netflix special, they would get the viewership that they're getting mm-hmm. from some of these other ones. Agreed. Or whatever, like, at the end of the day, and she did an interview with, uh, and I don't want to spend the whole podcast on Monique at all. But, you know, <laughs> we were bringing her up as, like, what started the conversation. But, like, Charlemagne was trying to say, like, it's about relevance, um, what have you done now? Yeah. And that's the point is that Tiffany Haddish is the it girl. Amy Schumer, I don't find her funny either, is the it girl. And so they know people will tune in. Mm-hmm. And and you're right, who's really tuning in for Monique? And so it's a business deal. Five hundred dollars is a slap in the face though. Mm-hmm. That is. Um so, um and you know, one person made a comment about like Monique should have teamed up with other women in Hollywood. And that part of her being blackballed and her attitude is kind of like what has her in that position. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to say because she's not the only black woman that has come out and spoken out. Um, Viola Davis has been very upfront about it. And uh, we want to play you all this clip and then we'll like talk a little bit more about it. But this was what Viola Davis had to say about the issue. We get probably a tenth of what a Caucasian woman gets. And I'm number one on the call sheet. And then I have to go in and I have to hustle for my worth. That's what I feel like I'm doing when I demand what I feel. Listen, I have a more than a 30-year professional career. I had a friend who said, yeah, but Viola, your career is better than my career. I said, yeah, but you can't compare me to you. Because once again... I got the Oscar, I got the Emmy, I got the two Tonys. I have a career that's probably comparable to Meryl Streep, Julianne Moore. They had the same path as me, and yet I am nowhere near them. Not as far as money, not as as far as job opportunities, nowhere close to it. But I have to get on that phone and people say, you're a black Meryl Streep. (laughs) You are, and we love you. There is no one like you. Okay, then if there's no one like me, you think I'm that, you pay me what I'm worth. That's right. You pay me what I'm worth. Hello. Oh, my God. I she cannot preached agree that thing. More. She did. Um, and, you know, the biggest part of that that I loved about her is she's like, okay, great. Now pay me. And so that's the thing, speaking up and not being afraid to counter offer and not being afraid to call someone on their BS. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of my favorite books is this book called The Confidence Code. And The Confidence Code really addresses the link between women's confidence and getting what they want in business and career. And one of the things they talk about is salary negotiations. And women historically do not negotiate for their salaries. And it made me realize that I was like, I've never done that. In all of my career, and I really, you know, only had like two companies that I've worked for, and then I was working for myself for a couple of years. But I, you know, I thought about every time that I was given a promotion or a raise, or when I at my old company was, you know, applying at different levels, I never came back and was like, "Oh, actually, we want more," or "What about this?" I was just always like happy with what I got. <laughs> and you know, they talk about how men don't do that. Men will speak up and raise hell and will counter even if, even if like they still like the money that they get. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt satisfied with the raises and promotions that I've got. 
And um, I thought about that. I was like, you know, some of this is about speaking up and advocating for yourself. And like, th like three of my guy friends recently, I was saying like the past six months, I've had three male friends who have got new jobs. And on both, on two of the occasions, they were promotions for them. One friend actually said that the job offer he got was already 65% more than what he was getting currently. He had like calculated. He was like, I'm getting double the pay plus some. They sent him his offer and he counter offered. And I remember asking him why. And he was like, just because. Why not? Why not? Just to see if I can get more. Ask not, want not. Another friend of mine, the other one, he was like, they were going to be moving him, relocation. They were including a lot of other things. And he was like, yeah, I'm just going to like ask for more. You know, he requested like some kind of like non-salary benefit. Like I think I work from home. Yeah, just to see. Because he's like, I can't accept the first offer. So, I don't know. Black Panther is still giving me life. <laughs> Speaking I, of. I can tell. <laughs> Speaking of, it's still giving me life. And it's been about a month now since it came out. But, man, Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. I was talking to one of my friends and she's going to see it for like the fourth time. And it was like, yeah, it's just like so good. It's kind of like... I miss it. I want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, before it totally goes out the theaters, I may get a third time in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm still getting my life from Black Panther, y'all. <laughs> About a month later. Uh, but I know I'm not alone in that sentiment. No, you're not. There are many people in the world that are still getting their Black Panther life together. Hello. And their edges snatched. Yeah, and I do not do Halloween. I haven't, like, dressed up in, like, forever. <laughs> but you better believe I'm going as Okoye as part of the Dora Milaje as Halloween this year. Like, it's going to be lit. I may actually have a Halloween house party. Right. All Black Panther attire required. <laughs> okay. And speaking of, just I got to throw this in. This is hilarious. Since I'm a big IG person, I've been on IG a lot. Um, what is IG? People may not Instagram. know Instagram. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Instagram. Mm -hmm. So Kev on stage is somebody that's on Instagram. <laughs> and so somebody named their child Wakandria T'Challa. <laughs> and their last name is Jackson. You a lion. I am dead serious. Have we seen the birth certificate for proof? Well, it's a you know, he has a picture, a screenshot of it. Like and he is going in, yes, oh about gosh. it. And then the, it, the hashtag is the existence of my whole entire life or something like that, it says. Whew. So it is freaking hilarious. So if you get a chance and you are on Instagram, please go to Kev on stage and look up the Wakandria. Black Panther baby, Wakandria... T'Challa Jackson. I cannot. <laughs> I mean, people name their children after people all the time. <laughs> Shoot, Kim and Kanye just named their baby Chicago. Chicago. Right. I mean, plenty of people were named after Aaliyah. I mean, this is a funny story. I have a, a white girlfriend who her parents almost named her Aisha. Oh Lord! Because they love No, it was uh, isn't she lovely? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Lovely Aisha. That song had just came out around the time they found out they were pregnant with her. It was like what late seventies, early eighties or something, and they wanted to name her Aisha. These are white people from Ohio. Oh, I mean, no, white funny. people from Iowa. That's and funny. so she joked. I remember her telling me that, and I was like, 
girl, that would have been the funniest thing. I would just be calling her Aisha from this point on. Like, if you ever <laughs> introduce me to her, I'd be like, hey, Aisha girl. <laughs> With her blonde hair and blue eyes. I said, that would have been the funniest thing if they would have named you Aisha. Because they were like, they loved that song and they thought it was such a pretty That's name. So I was funny. like, yeah, that would have went left fast because everybody black ended up naming their child Aisha. And you would have been the only white With girl. With the nickname Isha. <laughs> Now you got all kind of Isha's. Keisha, Takesha, Aisha, Laisha, <laughs> Wakandresha. Yeah, I ain't taking it that far with the mm. Black Panther, but God bless them. Yes. It's, <laughs> a mo- it's, it's definitely a movement at this point. It's a movement. Okay, y'all. Let's get into it today. And what are we talking about today, Renee? We are talking about so many things. Well, two things kind of tied into one, but really mostly about when men walk up to you and they want to tell you to smile Mm -hmm. and like being harassed um, as a woman, being harassed and catcalling and things of that sort. And uh, double-sidedness of everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, And you're right. I mean, street harassment is a real thing. And, um, you know, there was a survey done. Toya is back with the facts, (laughs) y'all. Y'all know how I do. She need a t-shirt that say that. Toya is back with the facts. That rhymes. My friend used to call me by the book Benson. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, you and your rules and your... (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. It's the Capricorn in me. And uh, so, a 2014 survey found that 65% of all women had experienced street harassment. Among that, 23% had been sexually touched, 20% had been followed, scary, and 9% had been forced to do something sexual. And it's not just women. I want to say that Mm -hmm. because also, compared to the 65% of women, there are 25% of men who have reported being street harassed as well. Um, and that number is higher for men um, that identify as part of the LGBT community. Um, and of that, 9% of those were sometimes homophobic or transphobic slurs. So very unfortunate, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you think about street harassment, it's not just like... Hey, Ma, you know, people are taking it far. And you talked about the don't tell me to smile. You know, that's real. We're walking down the street, minding our business, or walking in Walgreens, trying to get our whatever we need to get. And, you know, smile more. That's harassment, too. Right. Do not tell me to smile more. I mean, why? You don't know where I've been, what's on my mind, what I just went through. Maybe I had a rough day. Maybe my dog died. Maybe (laughs) I'm not feeling well. You are not a mind reader, sir, and you cannot dictate my feelings or freedom of expression. You don't have the right to tell me to smile, especially if you don't even know me. And then my thing is, what is my smile going to do for you? Not a doggone thing. <laughs> yeah, I almost slipped up there. <laughs> what, you know, what will me smiling do for you? Is it that you just want to see my pearly whites? Is it that, you know, like, why do I have to make my, why do I have to change something about myself or fake how I'm feeling, perhaps, to make you feel better? Next time somebody tell me to smile. Okay, I'm going to smile, but you better give me a dollar. <laughs> You're going to be charging for the I'm, smile? I'm charging for smiles now. 
Yeah, so, you know, people think that's subtle, but I think we have to have this conversation about what harassment really means. And, you know, this has come up a lot with the Me Too movement, you know, because people are coming out with everything ranging from I was physically raped to I was groped. And, you know, there are a lot of people that are trying to debate it. And it's just like, no, harassment is harassment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not telling, you know, trying to police a woman is what this is all about. You know, you are trying to police me when you tell me, smile more, do this, or you should be, you know, uh, glad somebody is, you know, calling you beautiful or yelling at you out of a car window. No, that's embarrassing, actually. Right. And, you know, I would argue we just need to come together. It doesn't, you know, different women try to put themselves in boxes like feminists or not, you know. I'm, I don't get caught up in that. I just think we as women need to come together because when it comes to issues like harassment, gender pay, whether you classify yourself as a feminist or not, you you deal with all of those things as a woman. Mm-hmm. And so this is about us supporting each other, you know, out here. And again, I will call it out for the men. You know, we love y'all. Y'all are our brothers. Y'all are our husbands, our boo things, bays, our nephews, cousins, like, we want you all to be our allies too. And, you know, that's one of the things I love, you know, in the wake of some of the more highly um, publicized campaigns like Me Too are the men that are stepping up and saying, not just Me Too, think about Terry Crews and recently Brandon Frazier came out sharing mm-hmm. their experiences being harassed by men. You know, as straight men, how they have been even harassed, sexually harassed by men. But also the ones that are standing up and saying, I'm with y'all on this. Absolutely. I, as a man, will check the next man. I will tell my brother don't do that. I will watch myself and be more cognizant of what I do so that you all don't have to. You know, a lot of times men don't realize, you know, because women, we, we suffer in silence. And we're taught to just sit back and, like, take it and be polite. And so I love women that are speaking up and I love the men that are coming together and saying, you know what, this has to stop and I'm going to do my part to support you all and I'm going to do my part to hold other men accountable. Absolutely. Okay, y'all, we hope you enjoyed our best of podcast. Be sure to go back and listen again to an episode that you may have missed or maybe one of your favorite episodes. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play and we will be back next week with a brand new episode. (laughs) 